0: So we are continuing in our series on the book of Ephesians, and if you're there, um, you'll know that we've been here for a while, and uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about how God the Father plans in love all that will come to pass, that He chooses us through the choosing of His plan for this world. And then God the Son comes and manifests this plan for all humanity, for all time, and it climaxes in in the incarnation of God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ who lives a sinless life that we couldn't live, dies on a cross for our sin, and three on the third day rises to prove that sin and death no longer have power and today what we'll see is that the plans of the Father and the work of the Son are never lost. That the Lord always gets what is His, what is His good plan, what is His right plan. And the way that He makes sure of this is that He sends God the Spirit into the world to seal those whom are His until His plan comes to fulfillment. It's a beautiful reminder in this season of life, in this season of our nation, and really at all times. So, if you would, would you read with me starting in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1? It says this In Him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance To the praise of his glory. Now, let, let's talk about this text, and, and there's some explaining that we need to do to understand what's going on here. In verse 11, we see these words In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, there's a problem here in our English translation. The Bible was not originally written in English, it was written in Greek. And when translators attempt to translate something, sometimes the meaning gets lost, okay? So there's a little bit of a problem, I believe, in this translation uh, because it seems to be saying that we have an inheritance, which is not untrue, and we'll see later in this text that we do have an inheritance. But what's interesting here is that I believe the inheritance that's being talked about, if we understand the original Greek, and many scholars are uh, convinced of this, is that the translation is actually talking about God's inheritance. So you could read it this way. We were claimed by God as His inheritance. You see how that changes the meaning slightly? Uh, and, And why we think this is because the verb here is in the passive voice. Now, when we read it as we are God's inheritance... It makes a lot of sense if you understand the Old Testament context in which oftentimes the people of God, who in the Old Testament are primarily the people of Israel, are called God's inheritance. So let me just read you a passage from the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, it says this, When the Most High gave the nations gave to the nations their inheritance when He divided mankind. He fixed the borders of peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob, that means Israel, is His allotted heritage or inheritance. So we can say something like this. God makes this plan he sends his son to make sure the plan is effective, that it manifests itself in time, space, history. And then, all of this is for what end? That he might have his inheritance. And what is his inheritance? The people of God. What does God get out of the whole deal? Us. Us. Now, you should at this point be incredibly flattered and humbled and probably a little bit confused. Flattered because we are what he gets out of it? Yeah. We are his portion, his heritage, his inheritance. This is what he gets out of it. And humbled because... We realize, are we really living up to this? To be called the inheritance of God? His portion is us. Are we living up to that? Oftentimes, uh, we ask this question, right? What do I get out of the deal? And in marriage, we often wonder that. In fact, I talk about this often when I do premarital counseling. Well, what do you think you get out of marriage? And most people think of tangible blessings and benefits, and and, and oftentimes that's true. But at the end of the day, what you get out of marriage is the person sleeping next to you in the bed. That's your portion. That's what you get. That's the end of the deal. Now, that can go very well, or it can be incredibly difficult. But that's the beauty of marriage. That's your portion and we are God's portion. Now, the question then becomes if the people of God are God is God's inheritance, it's His portion, it's what He gets out of His grand plan, who are the people in view here? Now, there's actually two groups of people. You'll notice with me if you look at verse 11 that it says, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. And then if you jump down, to verse 13, it says, in him you also. Doesn't seem like he's talking about the same group of people, and I don't believe that he is. The we in verse 11 is the Jewish people. God's original people from the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul, who is writing this letter to those Christians in Ephesus, is himself Jewish. And so, he's saying we, We get the inheritance of God. Or we are His inheritance. Now, if we jump down to verse 13, a beautiful truth emerges. And we'll come back to this truth in a couple weeks. But this beautiful truth first emerges in Ephesians, which is this. In Him you also... Now, primarily the people he's writing to in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, are primarily non-Jewish people. People we call Gentiles. And what he's saying is, hey, we all know that once the people of Israel were God's inheritance. But now in Christ, you also, non-Jewish people, are also part of His inheritance, if you are in Christ. This is um, hard to, for us to imagine because the church has been around for a while, but this is an incredible truth that we too are part of God's inheritance if you're not uh, Jewish. Praise be to God. You also are a part of the Lord's portion, just like the people of Israel You have been grafted in when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believe it, and you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how we get grafted in to become part of God's people, part of His inheritance, and the Apostle Paul is telling us that. Loud and clear right here. Now, Look with me again. There's an interesting word here in verse 13. So in Him, you also, you Gentiles, just like us, have been grafted in when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. That's Christ. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, who's making this promise? Who is... The promisor. His name is Jesus. So if you want, you can turn with me to John chapter 14, and I'll show you one of the places where Jesus, while he was walking the earth, promised that he would send this Holy Spirit. So John chapter 14, and we're going to be looking in verse 15. It says this, This is Jesus talking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. How is Jesus in us? By the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, how will we know that you have the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. How will he manifest himself to us? Through the Spirit. Again, in John 18, excuse me, 16, Jesus says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Helper is the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the promise that Jesus made. That He was not leaving that he would send the Spirit to be with us, that he himself might be with us. This is the promised Holy Spirit. Now, say, well, anybody can make a promise like that. Did the promise come true? Turn with me now to Acts chapter 2. Hope you had to grab the Bible, because we've got a lot of jumping here to do. Acts chapter 2. And we'll see that this promise comes true. And the uh, the book of Acts is sort of the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is the life of Jesus, and then Acts is after Jesus has uh, ascended to heaven, after he's risen from the dead, ascended, uh, promised these things. uh, Then the Spirit, as we'll see, will come. And the book of Acts is about the rise of the Jesus movement, which we now call the church. So starting in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, ceremony, ritual, celebration. They were all together in one place. That's all the disciples, those who had followed Jesus. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as if fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, to Jerusalem and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language so here it is the promise that Jesus has made that's also been predicted in the old testament that the spirit of God would descend in a special way and empower the people of God to do mighty works including expanding the kingdom of God and it's just happened right here in Acts chapter 2 People are kind of weirded out. What's going on? And if you keep reading in Acts, there's a great uh, part of the story where some other people just are kind of like watching and walking by and they think everybody's drunk because they're speaking in other languages. And Peter stands up, he says, we're not drunk, filled with the spirit. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. What do you think this is? Husky tailgating? Come on, man. So, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, stands up, begins to explain what's happening, and tells them that this was predicted in the Old Testament by the prophets, promised by Jesus himself. And we call this sort of the first sermon that ever was preached. And near the end of it, uh, Peter finishes, calls people to faith and repentance. And here's what he says. This is verse 37, Acts chapter 2. It says this, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. It wasn't just like, oh, this is interesting. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of... Of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. For those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Praise be to God. The Spirit of God cut them to the heart when they heard the gospel preached. They believed. They turned from their sin, repented, were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, were baptized to show that this change had happened, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Praise be to God. He always keeps his promises. And this one was a big one so rare these days, right, for people to keep their promises. I think I'm reminded of that more than ever in political, the political season. We just don't expect anybody to keep their promise. Nobody keeps their promise. And sometimes we hope that they don't keep their promises. But it's a sign of the times that we do not believe anybody keeps their promises. God Keeps his promises. He always has. He always will. He is a God of his word. And everything he's promised will happen. And he's promised the spirit. And he gives the spirit. And he continues to give the spirit to anyone who asks. Who believes in the word of truth. That turns, repents from their sins. Asks for God to forgive them. And he gives them the gift of the spirit. Praise be to God. Now, when this happens, when, when we hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, we receive it, cut to the heart, we realize we're sinners, we repent, we bow our knee to God and say, save me, and He gives us the gift of the Spirit, and our heart is regenerated. It's what Scripture talks about elsewhere, that we're reborn, in a sense, as a new spiritual creation in in God, in Christ. What's happening here when we receive this Spirit? And I think this text tells us three additional conclusions we can make about this promised Holy Spirit. And they're beautiful, beautiful reminders. The first it says, if you're not back there, you can turn back there with me too. Uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 1. The first, it says in in verse 13, is that we were sealed by the Spirit. God the Spirit, it's not just an impersonal force, He's a personal, non-physical entity, God the Spirit. He is a seal on us. So what does Paul mean by this? Well, a seal is like a mark of ownership, right? So you, you would picture uh, branding your cattle. This is of the house Evanger. That's my last name. <laughs> I wish I owned some cattle. I do not. I have to pay for my hamburgers. It's difficult. But you think of a cattle seal, Okay. We're losing it. Think of a cattle seal. A mark of ownership. This is mine, okay? Uh, circumcision in the, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. This was like a mark. We are the people of God. We're set apart. We're distinct. In the New Testament, the mark of the seal is the Spirit of God. Do you have the Spirit of God? It's like a mark upon you. Uh, Jesus said this. He told his disciples this. Uh, talking about the end times at the end of sort of human history. says, "...there will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man..." He's talking about Himself. "...and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, for they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other, looking for what? The mark. The seal." which is the Spirit. And all those who have the Spirit will be gathered up as part of God's people. This is the promise. Like a great cowboy, he collects his cattle, everyone with his mark, his brand, no matter how far They've drifted to the end, one end of heaven to the other. All those who have died already in the name of Jesus that had the mark, all those who are currently alive, everyone, no one who has the mark will be lost. It's a permanent mark. It's not a henna tattoo like you got when you were in middle school vacationing in Mexico. Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand doesn't come off after a little bit. It's not even like a real tattoo that through much pain you can get erased. It's a permanent. It cannot be removed. It's more like a brand. Have you ever seen? I had a buddy in high school played basketball with him and he thought it would be cool one day to, to, with a couple of his buddies to create their own sort of cool brand and so they heated up a fork over Probably a lighter or something and made it very hot and, and seared the fork on his arm. Now, a fo- there's not much gap in between the prongs of a fork. He didn't kind of understand what would happen. And so all he has is a giant wart really on his arm. It's just a giant ball of flesh that is built up. Don't do that. Don't brand yourself. Okay. That's what it's like. He can't get rid of it. He's still got it. Can never wear a tank top again. It's it's very disheartening. But this is a permanent mark. It can't be taken away because you were sealed with the Spirit. You have full assurance that you will not lose your salvation. No matter how far you wander, God will always find you when that trumpet sounds. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Perhaps there's no greater truth for the Christian than this. No power exists in the world that can separate you from the love of God once you've received Christ as your personal Savior. No sin is too great, even if you commit it after you've pledged obedience to God, that removes this seal from you. You will always be a part of God's family. There's no other way around it. He will always find you. Maybe you have friends you know who were once walking closely with God, and now they seem very far off. Maybe that gives you anxiety. If they truly experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they're not lost. They might be far off, but they're not lost. Encourage them, come back. you loved. God is still with you. Trust that. But we'll talk about later, we trust it to a point, and then we have to be honest. And we'll come back to that. So this doctrine, you may have heard it before, you may not, sometimes called eternal security. Others call it the perseverance of the saints. Meaning once saved, always saved. And it's reinforced through another term here in verse 14. Which is, we, who have received the Spirit, have the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. What is this guarantee? It's similar to the seal, but it's slightly different. Uh, the word here that's translated guarantee it could also be translated a down payment. Meaning that we have been given the first payments and we will in the future have been given all of the payments. Now, this isn't like um, your mortgage, and if things go wrong, the bank just forecloses and and takes your down payment and everything else. It's not what's going on here. The word here that's used in the Greek means the first of many things that will and must come. It's, it's, It's like a down payment or to use this word again, a seal of a covenant that's being made. This is the way the word was used and why Paul has chosen this word right here. Uh, it is something that you have part of and you will for sure have in full in the future. Uh, the other way you can talk about it, it's like a foretaste. In some ways, an appetizer of the full meal that is to come. And so we have, in essence, which is the quality of the thing, Everything, when we're given the gift of the Spirit. But we don't have in fullness or quantity everything that we will have in the future. Making sense here? More where that came from. You have it in part now, fully in the future, when we acquire possession of it. When Christ returns, remakes heaven and earth. Now, this down payment, this guarantee, this uh, foretaste of the Spirit of God, what is it? What, are, what is it tangibly? Well, first, we have the presence of God actually with us. And we will have the fullness of God with us in the future. But we have Him here. He is with us now if we have been given the gift of, of the Spirit. We also have peace and shalom. In part, now, but in fullness when we acquire possession of the kingdom of God. Now, the third thing, we have protection. The protection of God. We have all these things. Let me pause a moment on this protection of God. We live, my friends, in a spiritual world. As did the Ephesians. In fact, uh, many believe that part of the reason Paul wrote about this, because we'll see this idea come up, that there's other spirits in the world. And and the Ephesians were very aware of the spiritual world in which they lived in and the ability of the spiritual world uh, to intrude and affect their own lives. And so they were very aware and had a type of fear of the spiritual world that was unhealthy And so this was part of the impetus for Paul to write this letter. And as we'll see um, a little bit later, he wants to reassure and reinforce the Ephesians that because they've been chosen as God's people, and because they've been given the Spirit, that they now have protection from the spiritual realm in a way that they never have before, that they're no longer exposed like they once were. You could, you could say it like this. Once you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believe, and you've given, been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you now have a no vacancy sign. That the spirits that are all around us in this world, evil cannot, can no longer come And indwell you. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God indwelling you. Now, you say, like, I don't really worry about that. It's probably because you've bought the greatest lie that's ever been told. Do you know what that is? The greatest lie or the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Anybody know where that quote comes from? It's actually not the Bible. The usual, the usual Suspects, a great movie, Kaiser Sose, and the reason I love that quote so much, and many people think it's in the Bible, is because it's true, and the Bible talks about it in other ways, that the devil disguises himself as a, as a spirit of light, or convinces us that don't worry about him. But it's the greatest trick that he ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist and nowhere else in the world but in the West do we believe this is true. And so we tend to not maybe worry and we leave ourselves perhaps vulnerable. C.S. Lewis once said it this way, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, that's the human race, can fall about the devils. Speaking of uh, the devil himself and his demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Usual suspects. The other is to believe and to feel an excess and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So the other heir is giving them too much credit, either being Absolutely in fear of them to a point where you cannot live your life, or being very interested, curious about these evil spirits and inviting them into your life. And you may know people, you may be around people that fall into either of those categories. Well, the devil is real, his army of demons does exist. Even though you can't see them with your natural eye, I think deep down, most of us realize, yeah, we're not just in a material world, we're also in a spiritual world. And their goal is to keep you away from God's goodness, from the salvation of Jesus, from bringing glory to God. Now what if you've got the equal and opposite air, which is an unhealthy fascination, Or perhaps you know people that have this as part of their life that are experiencing this. Uh, Maybe it's worrying you that you're around them. Know this you're safe. The Spirit of the Living God, which dwells in you, is greater than any other spirit. You're safe. Now that doesn't mean that the spirits of opposition will not seek to interfere with your life. They can do this in many ways. But you're safe in that they can never do anything that the Spirit of God cannot oppose. Praise be to God. We can have 100% assurance of that. And this is part of why Paul is telling us this, that we have this Spirit and He dwells within us and nothing else can come against us that the Spirit cannot. This is our down payment. This is our mark. This is our seal that we have. Praise be to God that He hasn't left us alone, that we're not fending for ourselves, that we're not exposed in a way that is ultimately for our doom. Praise be to God. Now, you say, maybe I'm not getting this. And I've been wanting to use I, I, my favorite. Let me just show you something. My favorite infomercial on TV right now is uh, this great, I'm getting paid to do this promotion. It's called Flex Seal. <laughs> you have seen this? It's liquid rubber. You simply pour it into anything, and it'll seal it up, waterproof, you're golden. And so I was going to show you this. Now, here's the problem. In the infomercial, it makes it seem like it dries within 60 seconds. And then I bought it, uh, and I read on the back of it, it says 24 to 48 hours. So I'm trying to seal this strainer, and it's probably not working. This is a real strainer full of holes. Water can come in and out of this strainer, okay? I'm going to see if I can do this anyhow. This is going to be great. Flex Seal. You've got to get some of this. I've got plenty left over if you need it for a project, okay? Now, here's some water, okay? Now, I'm going to show you two things that are great about Flex Seal and about the Spirit of God. Uh, the Spirit of God has clearly, it's unfortunate that it's all black, but the Spirit of God has come and, and indwelt this strainer, Okay? And it sealed it, right? So here's, here's what's great about that. Oh, this may or may not work. Okay. <laughs> In this bottle, I have, it's like a high school science class. This is great. I have some orange juice. Because to me, the Spirit of God is like orange juice. It's sweet, gives me energy, <laughs> it smells terrific, okay. So I put orange juice, because I wanted to show you that it was not leaking into this water, okay? Uh, let's just see here. Oh, flex, oh no. That's not working. (laughs) Okay, maybe, we'll just pretend that that's working, okay? So the the flex, okay, so the, it's sealed, right? Now, here's the great thing. That's not going anywhere. Flex seal lasts forever. Says so right in the infomercial. That orange juice will never leave this strainer. It can't get out because it's already in. Now, here's the great other part about it. Think of this uh, water here. This is like, you know, the world. Oh, shoot. The world. <laughs> Just <laughs> pretend you can't see. Turn, somebody turn that light off. <laughs> this water is the world. And look, not only is the spirit in me, but when I put this in the water, look. There it is. <laughs> the world can't get in to the strainer. Okay? Look, and you just, a little bit extra came off, put it right back in. This, my friends, thank you, yes, this is true, okay. Let's see how long that holds. This is great. Well, and then you just put a cap on it like this, and then you're real safe. Okay, so this is, this is how the Spirit works. Not only will you always have the Spirit with you, the mark will not leave, But no other spirit can get in. And I hope you see this. This should be reassuring to you. In a world that is full of, uh, I believe, evil and full of spirits and full of all types of evil, that we have the Spirit of God protecting us in a way that we never have to be worried at the future. Now, Things will come up against us, the waves will storm, and we'll feel that, but it can never overtake us because the Spirit of God, He who is in us, is greater than He who is in the world. That is the truth that we're told right here when we get the gift, the promised Holy Spirit given to us and it seals us until Jesus comes again and the fullness of everything is brought into our possession to the praise of His glory. See how terrific that is? Praise be to God. Protection on every level. Okay. Okay. Now, as I said earlier, the Spirit of God, which is a seal, which is a guarantee, comes as a result of something. It doesn't just come willy-nilly. It comes as a part of the process because God is the God of a means and the ends. And the means He's made for the Spirit of God to come upon His people is through what? The preaching and proclaiming of the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and then us receiving it, believing it, with our head and our hearts. Only then does the Spirit of God come and seal us. Now it's so important to remember that because... Oftentimes we sort of forget how this happens. Uh oh, it's hanging on by a thread. Okay, (laughs) so glad this isn't on video. Okay, so it's floating terrifically. Anybody listening online? Wow, amazing, Flex Seal. Evangelism is so important. We have to proclaim because that's how people they hear the gospel of salvation and they believe it. So evangelism is so important. So as human beings, although we're not in control, we are involved and responsible. It's still floating. So glad you're listening through our awesome app that we have online. It's floating terrifically. And um, (laughs) we're also responsible to believe, to hear and believe. So You see, it's not that we are completely taken out of the process, because God is the God of the ends and the means. And the means that he's ordained are the preaching of the gospel, the hearing of the gospel, the believing, the surrendering, and then the gift of the Spirit is given. So, humanity and God are working in conjunction through all of this. It's so important to remember that. But ultimately, it's not for our praise as evangelists or preachers of the gospel, or it's not our praise that we believed, but it's God's. He's working in and through all of that. And so we're responsible at every level of human affairs. Now, some people will say, how can I be assured that I have received this gift, the seal of the Spirit? That's a real question uh, that real people have. I want you to turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And here we have a text that that many who, who... might believe, and there, there is some, I just want to say, disagreement within, uh, amongst theologians of can you lose your salvation? Can you have the gift of the Spirit and it's removed? I've obviously made it clear I don't believe that can happen, and Hebrews 6 is one of the texts that many bring up as proof that you can lose it. So here's what it says, starting in verse 1, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to drop down. Um, let's look at it together, because it's, it's not only important to answer, can this happen, you lose your salvation, but if it can't happen, why do we have this text and what is it warning us about? So, verse 1 says this Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, jump down to verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have test, uh, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It's impossible it says to restore them again to repentance since they have they are crucifying once again the son of god to their own harm and holding him up to contempt now see what's saying it seems to be saying that some people have participated in this and then they've fallen away so what's going on here now i want to show you a couple things the word enlightened so it says that have been enlightened what does this mean This is not typically used elsewhere in the scriptures or in uh, cultural Greek language to talk about um, salvation. What it's talking about is you've come to understand, being enlightened means to understand the gospel. So this could mean, oh, yeah, I get the gospel. I get what the gospel message is. I understand how it's supposed to work. I understand it. I've been enlightened. Now, tasted, it's a similar word, but when you taste something, it doesn't mean that you eat it. So, on the cross, uh, they took, uh, on a a stick, they put some wine up to Jesus, and it says he tasted it, but he did not drink. So, there's a difference. Taste is very temporary, but it's not the same as fully accepting it and bringing it into yourself. So there are many people that have tasted the blessings of life with God, but not drunk deep, deeply of the living water, which is Christ himself. Now the other word here is shared. It says they've shared in the Spirit. What's going on here? They've shared in the Spirit. Well, the Greek word here has a wide range of meaning from very intimate kind of participation to more of just sort of uh, a friendly, like going fishing. In fact, there's a... There's a There's a scene in the Bible where this word is talked about, fishing buddies. And they partook together. They shared uh, in fishing together, okay? So here's uh, here's what I think this is saying. There are people who have been so close to the Spirit that they're like fishing buddies. But they don't really know each other. They just spend a lot of time near each other. They're like good friends, but not great friends. There's no sort of covenant here. This is the idea that we're talking about. Now, here's why we must carefully consider this. Many people who you probably know, maybe you see yourself in this. They've been enlightened, they understand the gospel message, they understand doctrine, they understand the way the Christian message works. They can explain it even, they can maybe even argue for its merits. Maybe they've tasted the sweetness, the blessings of life in the Spirit. Maybe they're part of a church community, have been for decades and decades. And they love being a part of the church community. They love the love they receive. They love the friendship. They love the forgiveness that happens in the community of the Spirit. But they've never received the down payment of the Spirit. The Spirit is not in them. They just walk near the Spirit. For these people, maybe you're one of them. You have to see what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell you. Be careful. Be careful that you don't miss out on the real thing just because you're near it. That you don't miss out on not just understanding the gospel, but receiving the gospel. That it becomes the thing that informs all of your life. This is a warning of love. And I I fear that there's people in my own life who fall into this category, who have positive things to say about Christianity, they like being near the Spirit, they can understand the Gospel, but they've never received it. And they've never received the Spirit. Look at verse 9 in Hebrews with me. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. (laughs) So he's saying, like, this can happen, but we're sure for you that you've experienced the better things. And and here's the distinction that that I think this highlights: there are good things to being just nominally involved in Christianity or calling yourself a Christian. These are temporary blessings. But the better things, the things that we want for everyone in our life, these are things that are not temporary. These are the better things. These are the eternal things, the eternal blessings for those who surrender themselves to the Spirit of God and allow Him to regenerate their heart. So what are the genuine marks then of someone who has experienced this and not just been enlightened or tasted or or shared in part? What does it actually look like? they are actual marks. Look at verse 1 again of Hebrews 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. People who have experienced the Spirit of God mature. They grow in Christ. There's noticeable maturity in their spiritual walk with Him and their love for Him, and their joy with Him. Look at verse 7 and 8. He tells this agricultural analogy. He says, "...the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated. They receive a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. Here's what he's saying. The rain is coming down on those who have temporary blessing and those who have the eternal blessings of the Spirit. The rain's coming down, but we see who is drinking it fully by the fruit that it's produced. And there are some people whose fruit is just thorns and thistles. And there's others who is good fruit, fruit of the Spirit. So you might be understanding the message, you might be in community, and yet your heart is cold. Cold to other Christians, cold to those hurting and needy. Maybe you're critical, cynical, unmotivated to love others sacrificially, Be careful. Ask the next hard question. Because Galatians tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then finally, the third mark is perseverance itself. Are you maturing? Are you bearing fruit? And are you doing it over an extended period of time? Actual perseverance in the faith proves perseverance. It's a very interesting circular argumentation that's very, very true. And I know it in my marriage, right? I know it because I love my wife Allie. And I know that it's not just like because my love for her has persevered. In fact, I remember a moment when we were dating when in every other relationship I'd been in, I would have walked away. And yet I persevered. And it was my perseverance in that moment that I almost couldn't explain that informed me that I loved her and not liked her. That I loved her in a deeper way than I'd ever loved before. My perseverance was a sign of my perseverance and love for Allie. And this is the way it works with the Spirit. Because you can fake it. You can fake the fruits for a while. And maybe not fake it, but you can work hard for a while. But eventually you'll tire out. But those who persevere know that they are being empowered not by their own effort, but by the Spirit of God. So perseverance is a sign that you will persevere. Praise be to God. You're not doing it yourself. The Spirit is empowering you. The Spirit is empowering you. I hope you've experienced these things in your own life. Now, this isn't up and down. The, 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 the walk with Christ is up and down. There are times when you'll experience more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and there are times when you'll experience less. So I don't want, want you to, you know, always be worrying about your salvation. But if there has been a long time or you've been in the church your whole life and you You've never experienced growth and you've never experienced maturity and you've never experienced the fruits for extended periods of time. And it never comes, you know, it's not up and down, it's just never coming. I just want you to ask: have you really accepted the gospel and let your heart be changed? Now, if you have, be assured, be assured that you are sealed by the Spirit of God. And here's what it means in real life. It means that your countenance changes. That it looks different than the rest of the world. It should change the way you fear the things of the world. It should change the way you fear the spirits of the world. It should change the way you lean into the uncertainty of the future, including political uncertainty. And it should change the way you fear death. There's a a famous uh, biologist named Francis Collins who grew up uh, his parents were probably agnostic or atheist. He grew most of his life as an agnostic. He became uh, a doctor. He it was now in his later life the director of the Human Genome Project, and now he's the director of the uh, National uh, Institute of Health. Incredibly smart, gifted scientist, and he became a Christian because, while when he was a uh, MD, a physician. He was working with people at the end of their lives. He realized that every single person who was a Christian faced death differently. They had a hope about them that nobody else had. And he saw this pattern. And it made him consider the gospel. He spent two years, he read Mere Christianity, picked up C.S. Lewis, started reading. He investigated. And eventually, on the hills of the Cascades in Oregon, he became a Christian. He's probably one of the most famous scientists who is also Christian, and it was the countenance of Christians in the face of death that changed his mind. He couldn't ignore that there must be something. Let it change us when we know that the Spirit of God is with us. And then finally, let me say this. If you're not yet a Christian, if you're unsure, maybe, if you are a Christian, if you've been sealed with the Spirit, hear the gospel Hear the gospel of reconciliation that by grace God has saved you through faith in Jesus. Hear that. Receive it fully. And ask God to give you the gift of the Spirit. Tell Him to change your heart. Tell Him to overwhelm you with His presence that you might die and be reborn in the image of Christ. Want it. Ask for it. Surrender to it. And I promise you, you'll begin to see a change in your life for the good of all those around you and for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for this message of hope. This is a message of hope that we are not alone, that we don't have to live this life completely by ourselves, exposed to all forms of evil in our world, that You are with us through Your Spirit. You protect us. You give us peace and shalom, that you, uh, that you give us Your presence and that we have that if we've heard the Gospel, received it unto ourselves. Father, I pray for anyone in this room that's wondering, do I have the Spirit of God? Lord, that right now that they would humble themselves before You And ask that You'd give them confidence in their salvation. And that maybe they've never done that, Lord. That tonight, You would change their heart as they receive the Gospel of grace. Be with us. Come into this place. Change us. Help us to persevere well until we receive all things in fullness. It's in Jesus' name that we can come before You.